Well, greetings. This is another episode in our Sermon uh, sermon Talk Plus Plus podcast. And uh, tonight's passage is Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 45. I've entitled the message, The Sign of Jonah, because that's um, a prominent aspect of the text, but I'm not so sure that the title won't change by Sunday based on how we talk about it. And so just for review again, the um, well, first of all, let me introduce my team members here. How are you tonight, Donna? I'm very good, thank you. And DJ? Very good. And Becky is back with us. I am surviving. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you could, uh, again, thank you to each of you for joining me. And, you know, before I start, let's uh, pray a minute. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word together. May we be fruitful in the Lord Jesus in the way that we understand his word, your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So um, the purpose of, or what we're trying to do tonight is to cover what does the passage mean? How does its structure help us with its meaning? What is its, how is it organized? What's the genre of the, of the literature? Is it poetry or prose or whatever? And then uh, how does this passage relate to the gospel? Does the gospel inform it? Does it inform the gospel? How does that work? Um, what do our people in particular need to hear from this passage? What are the relevant needs for us today in Wyoming Park and Wyoming, Michigan? And then finally, uh, what could I do in the presentation of the, the message to help it sink in better? What techniques or stories or illustrations or adornments, you could call them, that could we put on it? Okay, so again, the passage tonight is uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 45, and uh, Donna, would you be willing to read that for us in your version, or would you? Okay. All right. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the re preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And... Yeah, I think one more verse. And I don't have it. Okay, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Mm -hmm. And that's how it finishes up. So um, any first observations, thoughts about what this might mean? What, what do you just notice, I guess? Let's just go for the observations right now. He has a lot of parallels. What parallels do you see? I see the Jonah in, in the fish and the Son of Man in the heart of the earth. And then he has a couple of other groups of people that are going to come up and condemn this generation. 
uh, the people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba because they were sent a lesser prophet and they responded better. And, but these people are not. I, I just thought that was interesting to look mm -hmm. at it like that. Two, so there's two examples of the, of the uh, witnesses that were lesser prophets but more well-received. And uh, yeah. What other things do you notice? Would I be skipping ahead if I brought up Tim Keller's sermon about the um, about that second part? Well, I I don't think you'd be jumping ahead, but you'd be stealing all my thunder. Yeah. Okay. So I'll wait <laughs> no, for no. that. Because honestly, I don't remember it that right. well. So but we'll... before I go on, though, I want to. I do think it's interesting to at least observe right now that there is two parts. There seems to be this paragraph about the uh, the sign of Jonah, right? Mm -hmm. And then it seems like a good thing, okay, that's one good sermon, and then the next one, starting at verse 43, about this evil spirit, is another sermon. It mm -hmm. seems like they aren't seem related. related. Right. Right. They seem sort of separate. And and I every time I read the part about an, when an evil spirit comes out of a person and goes into air, I, I immediately feel like, oh, wow, there's a lot of technical information about demon possession here that I should know and like speak to or learn about so that I understand what's really going on. What do you mean clean up the room? What is the... Arid places. Yeah, yeah. what is it? So, so I always feel sort of like a, a novice listening to the master having no idea what he's talking about. But let me just argue, the fact that it starts at verse 39 with a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign... And then he ends the second section, that is how it will be with this wicked generation. That connection makes me think that maybe Matthew was writing this, recording this, because Jesus put them together because there's a connection. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's sort of what I want to explore. So mm -hmm. I am intrigued by Tim Keller's interpretation or application maybe of right. the second paragraph which may help us decipher why these two are connected. Mm -hmm. But I, I wanted to draw out that tension. Why would these two accounts, why is, the, why is it wicked to ask for a sign? Why is it the same as if you had cleaned your house and then somebody comes back and it's worse than it was before? So that's, the, uh, that's an intriguing question. I do think that... Um using the example of Tim Keller's sermon on that, is that he says that that second portion, he doesn't, at least in that sermon I listened to, he didn't go into all the specifics of the demonology, right? Like, he's like, that's sort of a, for a different time. Instead, let's focus on the very practical point that Jesus is making, which is you can't, you can't clean yourself up good enough. You need Jesus to indwell you in order to go from bad to to not go from bad to worse you need you can't just live better and it will be good enough you need jesus to come in and fill you yes and i think the other thing that i remember from his message was that it's not just a matter of you can't clean yourself up well enough um, to be good that you need Jesus to cleanse you but if and when you try even if you're successful to some measure to have a moralistic lifestyle 
or some or other distraction, or... some other distraction that gets your life in order. You you enter a twelve step program, you get sober, you lose weight, you you get better control. You what happens is that if you don't find Jesus as a person to save you and a person that you love, then the next idea, the next idol that comes into your life is worse. It's almost like the, I've heard before that a dry drunk is nevertheless a drunk still. That there are many people who will go through the 12 step program and be victorious over alcohol and yet still live with the same insatiable, uh, unmet addictions. They just aren't using a fluid, a liquid anymore to do it. They're using something else. And so you can fix yourself apparently and open the door for a worse fate like legalism like pharisaicalism like thinking that you've obtained your own righteousness mm -hmm. and and if that's what it is then then when jesus says um the final condition of that person is worse than the first is really a sad but very true statement right it's you thought you were lost and you needed to do something and then you fixed yourself and thought you fixed yourself and you're still lost. So now you're really in trouble because you don't think you're lost anymore. So that's an interesting way. If that's what it means, or if I could use it that way, how does it connect back to the sign of Jonah? How, does, how do the two parts play together? Or do you have any other thoughts or observations? Well, the example of the people of Nineveh and the example of the Queen of the South, I, I wonder, just guessing, I wonder if that is like someone who recognizes their need for a savior instead of someone who has moved on to that worst position of being self-righteous and legalistic. Um, for uh, sure, the Ninevites repented in dust and in, in, in sackcloth and ashes, right? And, mm -hmm. and for sure, the Queen of the South took and made effort to come see and hear Solomon. This is a um, Tim Keller quote that I actually screenshotted today. If you want to become a Christian, all you need is nothing. But most people don't have that. Most of us come with our recommendation letters, our resume, our morality, our money. So maybe, so what I'm saying is maybe the people of Nineveh and the Queen of the South came to God with nothing in those scenarios, whereas this wicked and adulterous generation comes with their morality and pharisaical mm -hmm. yeah. legalism. Yeah. How do you think... The, these are the Jews, they just got done in the previous message, this previous sermon that I gave, but from the previous part of this text, was the passage where they accused Jesus of casting out demons through Beelzebub. And Jesus said that any blasphemy of him is forgivable, but a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not. And then he talks about how um, it's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean, not what goes in out of the abundance of the heart. So 
the main point that we got from the last passage was that it's an inside-out problem and that the people miss the truth when they're focusing on these external things. They don't want to believe in Jesus. They, they are trying to find ways to get around him. So that being the background for this, when they ask for a sign, he condemns the request for a sign. Mm -hmm. Why is it so sinful to ask for a sign? They were not accepting the truth that was already there in front of them. Yeah, so one of the reasons it was so sinful is because he'd been giving signs like crazy, right? Yeah. So it was a it was a false question. But what else, why does he call it a wicked and adulterous? Why is it why is it in a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a sign? What's so wicked about asking for a sign? I think no matter what he did or said, they weren't going to accept him anyway. It was just an excuse to see if they could trap him somewhere because he had given them sign after sign after sign, and they were there and they saw them and they rejected them all. So you're saying that one of the reasons that it's wicked for them to ask is because they weren't genuinely asking. They had already decided. Right, they were not asking. They were pretending. They weren't asking because they needed more information or they were seeking some more information. Like the Queen of the South was actually seeking wisdom and she came to Solomon and got it. And it said in the verse that she listened to it. They were not listening to what he was already telling them. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was useless to try to give them more signs and they were just wicked and adulterous because they had their mind made up before they started. All right, so the so one possible, one explanation for why Jesus said they're so wicked is because they had already, they've already made the decision. It seems it's a hollow, mm -hmm. it's a pretentious question. What else might be the reason it's so wicked? Yeah, I think they have already rejected Jesus Christ and they were not sincere with their okay. inquiry. Yeah. Well, uh, a wicked and adulterous generation is he speaking to them as God's people you have this entire history of um, being uh, freed from Egypt and taken care of in the wilderness and these different prophets and so he says based not only is the signs that Jesus has done but all of this all of the signs from God of God's um, care and blessing and faithfulness throughout history, what, why would this generation need more than every other generation? So are you kind of saying that they're playing into the same pattern as their ancestors of having hardened their hearts multiple times, and then this I generation is given even, even more worse. revelation from and, God. And it's even worse. And so, like, it's, it's so for them to have been held accountable and rejected like the ones who hardened their hearts in the desert and had to die, right? Mm -hmm. How much more guilty would you be because this generation should know better, right? What other, uh, is there any other possible reasons it's so wicked? And what is it, I, I, I want to say. I feel like you have fishing, an answer. <laughs> I, well, I don't mean to do that, right? I, mm -hmm. I'm, I don't mean to try to steer you to say what I'm thinking. 
I'm, I'm testing whether what I'm thinking is valid by seeing mm -hmm. if you come up with it too. But what I, one of the ways I was going was um, what, when a person says that, when, the, when, the, when the people came to him, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law said, teacher, we want to see a sign for you. What are they saying about their relationship to him? They are saying, we are going to judge you. By our standard. We, I am going Prove to Prove yourself to me. I'm going to decide whether you're legit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see whether your credentials are sufficient. And it comes with so much arrogance and, and pride. It, they're coming to the judge of all the earth and asking him for credentials. Right? They're coming to the creator God and asking him to vouch for himself. You know, it's, it's so um, presumptuous, maybe, is that the word? Or it's so uh, high-minded, mm -hmm. haughty. They think that they get to choose. And so I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's why, or one of the contributors. Grant, I agree with you. They were not persuaded. They were looking for an excuse. But for them to even posture themselves as being the clearinghouse through which he must go in order to be validated is so wicked on their part. And well, let me be. Okay. Let me be the Push Pharisees' yeah. advocate. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, they. If you think, I feel like they would say, "Look, Moses asked for a sign. Gideon asked for a sign. This is not a burning bush talking to me. This is not a voice from heaven." This is a human being. We've never seen a human being saying what he said before. I want to see a sign. How, what would you say to that? So then I would say, Mr. Pharisee, if all you were doing was based on his words, then I think maybe your objection would be valid. But what about the fact that you just said he cast out demons? There was just yesterday he cast out a person he cast a demon on a person who had made him not able to speak or see, and now he's the blind man is speaking. And so, the there were actions that had already been done. It wasn't just validate your claims; it was the actions they were rejecting too. So when they're asking for a sign, they're asking for potentially like a bigger or better or more pleasing or a more confirming. Maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe, do you think maybe if it if it was speaking out of their arrogance that they were hoping for some sort of sign that he acquiesced to them or aggrandized them or maybe. is that what they would want maybe. for him to be like? I'm just trying to understand why he condemns them as being so wicked for mm -hmm. asking for a sign. Because like I said, Moses did ask for a sign. Why was it? Now, Moses is asking for a sign was to preparation so that when he got back to the people, he said, what do I say to them if they ask me who he was? Mm -hmm. you know, so Moses did need to be validated because he was going to go back to the people who had not seen God. And so God did attest to his witness, to his, his empowerment, his calling of Moses by giving him signs and wonders. That, that's what God does is he uses signs and wonders to attest his, the words of his prophet. But Jesus had already done such things. So, so the, it's probably more what you guys said, that it's, they had already decided to reject him or they had on purpose hardened their heart to the signs that were already given. 
What you said is definitely true about the Pharisees. They definitely did view themselves as the clearinghouse mm -hmm. for all things religious, mm -hmm. and which and I, I want to say a little bit in support of my theory that that's it is look at how if you can if you had to pick two examples from the Old Testament that would most irritate a Jew, yes. it would be the repentance of Nineveh. They, they were on Jonah's side, yeah. hoping that God was going to flame them, mm -hmm. right? They're, in their hearts, they really kind of were, you know, Jonah's. And the queen from the south, you know, these are Gentiles who come, and when Jesus said they'll condemn you at the judgment because one greater than Moses, or Jonah's here, mm -hmm. one greater than Solomon's here, I feel like that Jesus is on purpose kind of digging them. Yeah. You think you're the authority? Like he does with the story. I'm of the God good of Samaritan, all the earth. Right? Yes, yeah. I'm the God of all the earth. And I and I have Gentiles who show more respect for me than you do, mm -hmm. Mr. Clearinghouse. You know, to me it kind of Definitely. swings with that a little, mm -hmm. which then opens up the possibility then that this second paragraph, that second section, starting at verse 43, is talking about this this danger of spiritual improvement only to be filled with a greater item, a greater vanity, and to have a worse condition than you had at first. Mm -hmm. If you'd have thought you had a need that you needed to be exercised of your demonic influences, and then you fill it with the wrong things, mm -hmm. and you replace your need with solutions that you think are adequate, then your condition is now worse than it was before because, mm -hmm. and, and that's why he, I think it circles back to, that is why this will be with this wicked generation, the same generation that asked for a sign, the same generation that was hard-hearted to the truth already, the same generation that blasphemed the Holy Spirit, the same generation that thinks they get to be the clearinghouse for the Lord Jesus, and they have made themselves righteous. They look pretty. They're whitewashed tombs, he'll say later, right? They're all... They place themselves as the good people and the Ninevites and the queen from the south as the bad people. Yeah. And it's, it's both statements, both sections, like you said, really push them where it hurts. I, th I think so. Where they're defensive. Yeah. And, it, and if they had ears to hear, they would, they would think, perhaps, that even their self-righteousness that had cleaned them up had really made them nothing other than a whitewashed tomb that was pretty on the outside but still filled with dead man's bones. But now, sadly, they don't even know they're lost anymore. They think they're the ones who get to judge whether Jesus is su sufficiently qualified. Mm -hmm. You know, it, that, so I... That's where I've been going with it. That's what I'm thinking. I think that'll preach well. Yeah, I but I, in my outline was actually, what is it like to be wicked? What condemns us and what's it like to be wicked? I mean, it's actually, it's almost a chiasm. But I don't know if I like, I like that either. So um, moving along, I don't want to take too much time. Do you have any other thoughts about that meaning or structure? Anything before we talk about the next... I don't want to cut anybody off either. 
Does it hold water? Donna, you were flipping pages there for a while. I was, I was looking at all the miracles Jesus did up Just till before this point. This, yeah. He yeah. healed the centurions and the, this he person and that leper. person, yeah. the paralytic, cast out demons, healed, and then the feeding of the, the five, four, 5,000 and then 4,000. In Matthew's account, it hasn't happened yet, but in the other accounts it does. I don't think we've done the fight. Maybe not 5, the 5,000 yet, but yeah. all the ones that they did do, some of the Amazing time, yeah. some of the time they were there criticizing him because he yeah. did some of these things on the Sabbath. Yeah, exactly. That guy with those shriveled hands just and, a little while And ago. there were things that... You couldn't do if you were if, yeah. if you if yeah. you weren't God, and the Jews had the Jews were the people who had the law and the prophets all the way through, and if they actually read them and looked, they could see that Jesus was the Messiah. There were people who knew a whole lot less about the law and the prophets, who recognized, and you see that some of more in John. But all kinds of people, you must be the Messiah, you're the Messiah. Mm -hmm. People with less education. Well, the blind man on the side of the road, you know, like, uh, son of David, have mercy on me, mm -hmm. you know. So, and, and, and the words of the crowd in the passage right before this, after Jesus cast out the demon of that deaf, blind person, they said, the crowd said, could this be the son of David? Mm -hmm. So they were starting to come to that conclusion. And that's when the Pharisees said, no, he's doing it by Beelzebub. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the tension is growing with yeah. his enemies. And, and it makes sense to then look at the second part of this as so they think they want to sign, but they're coming with thinking that we're, we're the clean people here. Mm -hmm. And we got it all, we cleaned it all out, we organized it all, and it's going to be worse for them because their cleanness is nothing. And especially when you compare it to these people, the Nineveh people and the Queen of the South, who had a lot less to work with, a lot less law and prophets and it's history. Certainly as far as the Pharisees. As far as the yeah. compared to the Pharisees, these people of Nineveh, all they had was Jonah, who didn't even want to be there, and the queen of the south, who was from somewhere else. They came and they she looked and they saw it. a black person, actually. And, and it says that, you know, now something is greater than Solomon, something is greater than... Jonah, you got the actual son of God right here, not mm -hmm. just somebody pointing to him, mm -hmm. and you think you're clean and you don't need him, and, and that he's bad. It, mm. it it makes sense looking at it that way. I so. can't stop thinking about the fact that the final condition of that person is worse than the first, because I do think that in my... Um, I confess that in my um, Pharisee-like mind, I don't think of it that way. I think people who are at rock bottom need to kind of get their life together. And when they get their life together, that's better than when they were at rock bottom. And then they can start maybe thinking about getting right with Jesus instead of the complete opposite order, you know. Mm -hmm. um, someone who's at rock bottom is more receptive to the truth, they know they bring nothing to God, and to be in a place where you think you do bring something to God is actually worse mm. than a, you know, someone who's addicted to drugs and on the street. Mm -hmm. um, they're in a worse position, right? And if you were rock bottom and addicted and just couldn't get out of the trap, but somehow found a way, there are some people who do it without God, 
as far as they're concerned, they can think I did this. Right. A lot of pride. In what that. do I need yeah. God for? I look yeah. at right. I did. I was here, and now I'm I here. I literally pulled myself up uh, by my own bootstraps. Right. And, and so, yeah. they're in a sense spiritually, they're worse off than they were when they were at rock bottom and needed God. Right. It makes me think. It makes me think about how I pray for people. Right. Like people who are struggling really need to pray that they recognize their need for Christ first and foremost. I think it's easy to pray, well, help them to get their life in order, help mm-hmm. them to get a job, help them to... And we do kind of want that because it, it relieves the immediate suffering. suffering I mean, if yeah. you go to work right. on time, you quit. But if they die tonight, I need them to know Jesus. Yeah, exactly. I don't need them to have a, a steady job. And if we, if we confuse the gospel with life improvement we are not helping them we're we're making it you know life improvement comes from the abundant life after mm-hmm. having been born again not from the means to get born again mm-hmm. so yeah that's good that does kind of bring us to the gospel then with the gospel is pretty evident there and it is frightening to me it is something that makes me want to repent right away is oh the fear that i have um cleaned my house up and I'm proud of that is a and I'm standing real danger I'm viewing myself as outside of Jesus asking him to prove himself to me Mm, yeah what what a scary place to be you know I've made it in my life I've climbed to the top or I'm respected in my circles why should I respect you Jesus and Mm -hmm. what to place myself in that judgment instead of realizing the real truth is that we should be on our faces, begging God to have mercy on us as sinners. I mean, we are, it's so arrogant to treat Jesus that way. Well, and to also, I, I was thinking about this today actually, um, that to remember that his grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in our weakness and that we can boast in our weakness. We, we don't have to be ashamed anymore yeah. of our place. In fact, we say, I'm so excited to know that I bring nothing to God. Mm-hmm. And he he is his grace is sufficient. He will he will do what he wants to in me. Good. So the gospel is evident, I think. Um any particular applicability to West Michigan October of 2023? Our church. Are we doing this to Jesus? How does our culture do this? How do we ask for a sign? I do think in my heart, I feel like there's certain pe- like I view certain people as Ninevites in the in the way that Jesus was saying, and that I'm like annoyed. That they came to Christ, right? Like, mm-hmm. that I'm, that I'm, I wanted them to get punished. I, I and think that pseudo enemies or mm-hmm. somehow yeah. irritants in our life or people that right. don't seem to deserve that. And kind you know of what favor. it comes down to is I'm not going to get certain justifications or vindications I feel like I deserve, mm-hmm. and or I think that somehow. So we're mad. We're envious I, of God's I, grace, kind of his. Right, but in those cases, I'm. I'm putting myself in some sort of different category. Right. It's not mm-hmm. fair. That's not reality. That's not truth. Right. Sometimes I think 
especially in this area where there are a lot of churches and the number of members grows and decreases depending on where the people are going next. It'd be easy to assume that if my ministry is growing, then I must be doing something good here. Yeah. And if it's not, I must, there must be something else I need to do. Yeah. Instead of looking at the fact that we don't really know, the people who are here, who are hearing or just listening on the radio, we don't know what God's doing in their lives, and we may never know. And we can't just assume that our ministry is good or bad based on what we see right in front of us. I do think that in this modern day that we're looking for the church where it's happening. Mm-hmm. You can tell God is really working there. That's happening. And that just to have the rumor of that um, makes us think that somehow we're better or doing better. And, and I, I wonder, this is no excuse for acting like we want God not to work. I do want him to work. I want him to be, I want him to be, his work to be evident in our church. But if I use that as the criteria, maybe I'm asking Jesus for a sign when the reality is just let me come in and let my power do the work. And, the, you know. and, and a bunch of maybe subtle, silent, yeah. non-fanfare Maybe ways. where it's happening is not the way I see what's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the, in the podcast world can tell that I used air quotes <laughs> there, but we need to use a sound for air quotes. But. I think, too, if whatever ministry that we have, if it's going really, really well, there's a temptation to think it's because because I'm good, because I'm this, because I'm that. I I punched in the right code and opened the machine to God. Somehow, somehow, you know, I'm doing good here. Um, But if the ministry is suffering, if if there's things in it that are are frustrating, maybe it's to keep us from thinking that we are good. And that maybe we just are dependent on God to do something because I don't know what more to do. I also, this reminds me of something that God's been teaching me lately. And I just find it so exciting to think about how potentially more diverse the kingdom of God is than I have viewed in the past. And that diverse, I always knew there would be racial diversity in heaven. But I think I always thought they would all still be Baptists or something like that, you know, and right. uh, or they'd all like, that they would think the way I do. Yeah, or, yeah, and or live the way I do, um, or do church the way I do church. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I've just recently had a couple of, I don't know, just like thoughts of people that you know, like you read an obituary and they they said they were like a believing Christian. I'm like, I didn't. They, they can't be a believing Christian. They were totally different than me in politics, and they were totally different than me in the way they, I think they smoked cigarettes, you know, things like that. And it's just like, wait, what if God is saying, what if God, what if God is actually have believers all around the world in totally different lifestyles, and, and it's so different than me, and they all love Jesus. And it, I just think that's really actually kind of exciting because when we limit the kingdom of God to just us, we can view things as like, oh, we're losing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not that many people around that agree with every single thing I, I believe in. But when you open it up to the p- potential that there's a lot of diversity in the kingdom, wow, I mean, there's Christians in South America and there's Christians in China and, and God's word and his kingdom are advancing all over the world. There's no losing here. This is all part of his plan. Um, I just... 
that was actually an encouragement when I came around to it. Good. Any um, adornments? Any ways to communicate this? Any uh, oratorical techniques or approaches or suggestions or thoughts? Any songs or what, anything? Yeah, it just came to mind, but um, I was uh, listening to an apolog apologist. Okay. An evidential apologist. Okay. And um, of course, there are evidences of God's existence, but he made a warning that sometimes we lay out the evidences of God and it's almost like we're the judge if God really exists or not. So just his warning reminds me, Pastor, of you know, the yeah. Pharisees who, who acts like the judge, weighs yeah. the evidences. Yeah, for even in an apologetics way, the it's comforting to know that to believe in God is not irrational. Right. And those evidences can uh, assuage our doubts and help us. But mm -hmm. it is pretty dangerous to view ourselves as being Lord and judge of the earth and the universe to say, I don't know if this God thing is... Because the truth is, he has revealed himself to us and our only valid response is fear and worship and respect and awe and love, right? I mean, we 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 don't have the rights to judge him. Mm -hmm. And it's it's super pretentious of us. And it's very it's very amazing how gracious God is to not just vaporize us instantly for such arrogant thoughts that we could mm -hmm. decide whether he's legitimate or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're learning Colossians uh, 1, 15 through 20 in Young Explorers. And today our verse was, he is before all things mm -hmm. and in him all things hold together. And I just find it comforting but terrifying that God is very aware of every heartbeat and breath he is giving every single one of us. There's, It's not like he said, okay, I'm going to give you another seven years. I'll come back and check in on you. It's like he's giving you every millisecond of existence mm -hmm. and for us to have arrogance to be like well i don't really like how you handled that situation god or where were you in this other situation when he's like i am literally making your cells stay together mm -hmm. right now and it's like he's not far away but up close mm -hmm. um, i think is kind of a is a, is sort of that like sobering reminder that we need to humble ourselves in the in, in the sight of the lord Any other thoughts? Well, uh, DJ, would you close in prayer for us? Yes. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time that we can talk about your word. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ and your grace to us that we have been in, in the same shoes before coming to Christ. We have been arrogant and boastful, but Lord, you are so gracious. And you have brought to us the truth of the gospel by your spirit. I pray that you be with our pastor, help him as he continue to work on this sermon. Use him for our church and for uh, our area here in Wyoming. I pray that more people would come to know Jesus. Bless us. And 
we entrust to you um, everything. We praise you, Father, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.